Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And oh, Nelly, we've got a show for you this week. We have got Joe McAtee or Joe Matu, if you remember last year's show. Could go either way. Uh, that's right. Here to preview the Rams for 2016, recap 2015, uh, and give us some really, really interesting stories and songs, really. It's really all <laughs> over the place. It's, it's going to uh, be... There's, there's a lot of things that happen. Um, a lot of things happen. But, yeah, it's going to be a great show. He's going to preview the Rams. And, of course, we've got some real on-screen football to talk about. We're going to get into the Texans game and review some real football. Talk about Blaine Gabbert, uh, a.k.a. the future. Talk about the new Corey Sheets as our future player of the game. And really get into some of the actual football as opposed to hypothesizing about what they will look like. So that's what we've got lined up for this week's show. But first, as usual, we've got the rundown because there's actual news now. And usually in the preseason, much like in the offseason, that means injuries. So lead story this week on the rundown is that Thad Lewis, don't call me Chad, tears his ACL. And the 49ers sign Christian Ponder as the savior of the quarterback role. Now that you've got some injuries to keep positions at the quarterback. So, I mean, wait, do people call Thad Lewis Chad? Like, is that a thing? We, no, I just uh, thought just, I, I saw okay. Thad and, just wanted and to I clarify. was like, no, I saw it and I was like, Thad looks a lot like Chad, uh, but with a lisp. Like if, <laughs> if you like if you were to be called Chad in Spain, it would be Thad, you know, like that. That's that's kind of how I imagine that name. So that's hey, that's what happened. Fair enough. Um, I mean, we're, we're swapping out one not very good quarterback for a quarterback that's uh, I don't know, probably worse considering that he was on the street before what yesterday. No, um, no, no. He wasn't on the street. He was painting his fence. I mean, good for him. You know, he's he's still got that first round money, that first round contract. So, you know, he's you do you, Christian. Oh, and he's got the, uh, I guess, wife now, I think. Um, that works at ESPN. They're they're doing fine. Whatever. Oh yeah, one of my favorite tweets when we signed him was, "Husband of successful ESPN anchor lands as a quarterback somewhere." <laughs> like this is really funny. I, mean, I enjoyed pretty that. Pretty much. I I mean, uh, on one hand, like with Thad Lewis, it's obviously unfortunate that he had the ACL injury. Um, just for him as a player, and you f- you always feel for players that kind of have that sort of significant injury. And he was a player that was, you know, at least familiar with uh, Chip Kelly's system and uh, was going to be, you know, somebody that you, while you hope that that person never gets into a game, right? Like, you know, you hope that your emergency quarterback uh, never has to actually be on the field. Like, uh, you, you could do worse when it comes to, like, that number three spot there at, at quarterback. So, unfortunate there. I mean, I, I really don't think that there's much to say about the Christian Ponder signing beyond they need somebody to to throw the ball in camp. Like right now it's Blaine Gabbert, obviously Ka- Colin Kaepernick, who we're going to get to here in a minute, um, hasn't been throwing for the last several days. Um, and so especially with Chip Kelly and, and the speed in which they uh, kind of reel off plays in these practices, like they need guys that can just go out there and, and be camp arms. Uh, and I, I really think that that's all that this signing is. That's exactly right. At this point, Christian Ponder is a camp body. And think of Christian Ponder not in the former first-round pick. Think of him as a guy who gets signed off the street in the middle of training camp because Chip Kelly's practices have a quarterback throwing anywhere between 85 to 105 balls of practice. And Colin Kaepernick is over here playing the long con and is trying to win the starting job by not playing. 
So let's get into Colin Kaepernick then. The initial reports were that he had a dead arm. And a dead arm, I didn't know this before, you know, I don't know, like four days ago, that a dead arm is actually like a legitimate baseball thing that happens due to a shoulder subluxation or some other kind of rotator cuff injury where you literally have no feeling in your arm, hence the name dead arm. But Mayoko's reporting that it's actually not a subluxation, it's not a cup issue, it's just a tired arm. And so we out here talking about practice, and Colin Kaepernick is talking about a tired arm, but bottom line is he's not playing, he's not throwing, and he could potentially be falling behind in the quarterback race. So I actually thought, like, I didn't have uh, that that massive, like, uh, overreaction to the dead arm thing that people, like, when, when I heard dead arm, I kind of thought, you know, like dead leg, you know, and like uh, if you get hit in the thigh and your leg kind of loses feeling for a second, you know, dead leg, like sort of thing. Like I was just like, oh, his arm, you know, just is sore, basically. Um, and as somebody, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak highly of my quarterbacking experience way back in the day, but uh, yeah, I mean, I can see how in a situation where Colin Kaepernick again wasn't normally quarterbacks by the time they get to training camp, they've been able to. Uh, you know, kind of build up throughout the offseason. Obviously, most quarterbacks and most players in general are going to take a little bit of a break after the season. And then once they pick things back up uh, with with quarterbacks, you're kind of slowly building up that that arm strength, you know, throughout the offseason. You're throwing more and more. Um, Colin Kaepernick hasn't been able to do that. Right. Obviously, with all of the offseason surgeries and and everything that he's been going through health wise, like he hasn't been able to throw the ball for for basically the entire offseason. Now he's not only getting back into doing that full time, but he's doing it at a pace that his body's not used to. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing, like, doesn't really seem like that huge of a deal to me um, from, like, an injury standpoint. Um, But I I, I do think, and we're going to get, obviously, into, you know, what happened during that Texans game um, here shortly. But when you look at the way that those other quarterbacks played during that game, and then you see Colin Kaepernick and and you don't really have anything new to judge him off of. Uh, you know, you kind of start wondering, like, man, I I'd kind of like to see Colin Kaepernick out there because these other guys look terrible. And and I think really the way that it played out and and who knows, we can get into like what the front office wants and how this will actually play out, uh, you know, come week one. But from Colin Kaepernick's perspective, I, I think that it, it's hard to have. Uh, things work out better than it did with that first preseason game for him. Well, he's probably not going to play at this point against Denver. He has not been throwing. He threw light in today's joint practice. He might throw a bit more tomorrow, but he's not taking practice reps. There's a reason they needed another camp arm. So we probably won't see Kaepernick until the third preseason game, maybe. And, And he could legitimately just be sitting on the sideline and watching Blaine Gabbert play and Christian Ponder play and Jeff Driscoll play. And the alternative, the alternative could just be at this point, Colin Kaepernick can't be worse than any of these people and he should win the job. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the impression that that you end up getting uh, a lot of it is like, okay. And we've spent uh, a ton of time talking about Colin Kaepernick and, and, you know, his many flaws that he has to kind of work through before he's going to be, a player that resembles what we saw from him early in his career. But when you watch these other quarterbacks play, you're just like, Oh my God, he can't be worse than this. Right? Like uh, these guys really look pretty terrible. 
I want to see what Colin Kaepernick can do in this Chip Kelly offense. So uh, again, I think for somebody that didn't play a single snap in that preseason game, uh, I, I think that the question that you should have been asking after that is like, wow, is this a really good thing for Colin Kaepernick? Um, not is this time like this absence uh, costing him anything in terms of this quarterback competition? Well, there are some other injury updates to get you up to speed on. The, probably the most important one is going to be DeAndre Smelter. He's got what's listed as a lower body injury, which just sounds ominous. But Trent Balky does expect him to play this preseason. This is another player that when I thought when I heard he was injured, I thought, oh, well, there's another year on IR to develop. But it seems like they're trying to get him back this preseason. For what, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I guess they're going to keep six wide receivers at this point, and he could be number six. But this is someone who, again, isn't getting the reps that he needs in camp, and it is significantly re- retarding his development, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, what we're seeing with this wide receiver position um, kind of sucks because, you know, you look at some of the names before we got even into training camp that you're looking at that, okay, like we, we've got some promise with this guy. We, we think that he's a, you know, a young player that's got some talent guys like, uh, Eric Rogers, guys like Deandre Smelter, you know, obviously we spent a lot of time talking about Bruce Ellington. Um, you know, you look at some of those names there and they're just kind of peeling away, right? Obviously Rogers is done for the season. Now Deandre Smelter, you have a guy that missed the entire rookie season because of his ACL injury in college, uh, was already kind of behind the curve, even when you don't account for the injury, considering the type of offense that he played in in college, coming from that sort of triple option uh, system that they ran at Georgia Tech there. So he's already a player that kind of needs to learn a little bit more of the nuances of the position. Um, and so to have him, you know, missing this kind of valuable development time is really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, again, Trent Balky, like you mentioned, said that, that they do expect him to play this preseason. But uh, it's beginning to get tougher and tougher the more time that he missed to expect uh, any sort of contributions for him, um, you know, in this this upcoming season. Let's talk about then the Texans game. We, we briefly touched on it with the, the quarterback play, but. Let's review the the Texans game. And what we'll do for the preseason is we'll talk about some general observations. And we're going to bring back a segment that we enjoyed from last year. And it was kind of keeper cut. But this year, we're going to do an arrow up or arrow down segment to talk about the players that we thought did well uh, and talk about the players that we did not think did so well. So let's first start with some general observations. And I think the first general observation that surprised most people was that we received competent offensive line play, which is not something the 49ers have been used to seeing, especially if they've only seen them for the past, I don't know, 12 or 13 months. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of legitimately shocking uh, to watch how well the offensive line performed. I mean, uh, this was a unit last year that was, if not the single worst offensive line in football, you know, it was easily in the conversation for one of the three, four, five worst uh, in the, in the league. So all of a sudden you see guys, you know, Anthony Davis, who we're going to get to um, Josh Garnett, who we're going to get to like these guys coming in and, and just looked much better. And I, I think, you know, from the combination of Chip Kelly and having a more competent offensive system, and then having offensive line play, like it's certainly not saying that this is going to be a unit that approaches like the Dallas Cowboys offensive line or something like that, where they're one of the best in football. Um, but I think even a unit that approaches 
league average in in some respect, right? Like they're they're just kind of mediocre is such a significant improvement over what they were last year that that, you know, opens up some possibilities for the rest of the offense, right? It, It opens up that running game potentially because Carlos Hyde, when he was in there was, was having to, you know, start fighting off tacklers basically from the moment that he got the ball, uh, and the other running backs that on the team weren't talented enough to do that. So they just went down for, for losses or very short gains. Right. And we saw, uh, sort of the impact that Mike Davis was able to make in that first game. And, and I think a lot of that has to do, um, you know, with the improved offensive line play. So I think just the fact that this unit could, that we could be talking about a unit at the end of the season that is somewhat near average, uh, is kind of a, a little bit shocking to me. So that was, Uh, certainly the thing that I took away most. Well, the other is going to be the volume yardage. This was an offense that uh, really amassed 409 yards on 78 plays. They had over 300, I think, at half. They had 301 or something like that at half. And this is another instance where I I think two things. One, this is the Chip Kelly offense. There's, There's two things to note here. One is it is going to get a lot of yards, but two, it's also going to run a lot of plays. 78 plays. We talked about our offensive game planning episode where on average offenses are going to run anywhere between 60 to maybe 65, 66 plays. That's the average number that they'll run. Yeah, if think, you're trying to come from behind. I think last year it was uh, was 69 was the average yeah. half. And that which, was high. Nice. We, 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 had, we had another, we, we ran tempo at times. I think we had like the second or third uh, shortest time between snaps. Oh, and, and I'm not. Yeah, year. I didn't even mean the the 49ers like average time, like league average last year, because, you know, teams are starting to league wide use a little bit more tempo. So last year, the average uh, like for one unit, one team in a game was like 69 plays, I believe. Right. And 78, like in a preseason game, Is, especially when you're not doing a lot in, in the third and fourth quarter, that's a lot of plays. Yeah. Um, and, and that means that if you're getting this, this game, we performed fairly okay offensively because of the running game. But when you're getting five or six yards of play, that starts to add up in terms of volume yardage. Now those numbers are going to look eye popping. And some of those runs were indeed eye popping, but this is where we have to kind of reiterate that DVOA stats are probably a better measure because by simply by running more plays, the 49ers are going to rank near the top in terms of yards because they have more opportunity to gain yards. This is why we like using measures like DVOA because they give you success per play against an average and not necessarily look at like just whole offensive yards. So you are going to see gaudy numbers from the 49ers, both in terms of plays and in terms of yards. But that's part of the philosophy that Chip, that Chip Kelly brings. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh, certainly a very reasonable chance that whatever we look at, you know, the 49ers rankings at the end of the year when it comes to total yardage are a little bit misleading when it comes to how well that offense actually performed. And, uh, you know, the same goes for the defense, uh, you know, just on the other end, right? Like just because the defense is going to likely see more plays and, and therefore give up more total yardage uh, when you're looking at kind of those raw totals, um, that doesn't mean that they're performing necessarily that poorly. Like it, it, there, there certainly are better measures of of that overall performance than just looking at that total yards. Other observation, and I know this won't surprise you, David, but on offense, holy hell, it seemed like snag and mesh and snag and mesh and snag and mesh. It was a whole lot of snag concept. It was a, which is we covered on the podcast and you covered in your Chip Kelly resources kind of collection of articles that's on Niners Nation. Uh, but we saw a lot of mesh, too, uh, which is Kelly's preferred man beater that we and granted this is preseason, right? They're not scheming for an opponent. They're trying to run 
the base parts of their offense. But snag and mesh, that's the thing. If you're not familiar with those two concepts, definitely read up on them because you're going to see a lot of them this see, uh, this year from the 49ers offense. Yeah, the, the other thing, too, that I noticed that was something um, that I had noticed like when watching Kelly's offense in Philadelphia a lot was actually the touchdown play to Vance McDonald. So one of the things that, that Kelly really loves to do, uh, and he likes to do it when once they cross the 50 and then kind of like not really red zone range, but in that like outside of red zone, like the 20 to 40 range, like kind of, you know, really about the range that the, the Vance McDonald touchdown was at. Um, is when they go to that three by one set. So it was three receivers on one side. Vance McDonald was the lone receiver to to the right side of the field, but he was actually tight to the formation. So you have that closed tight end. He likes to go to that look and and kind of isolate that tight end uh, on a corner route there. And sometimes it's leaking a back out into the flat to try to occupy an underneath defender. But this is something that they they did quite a bit uh, under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. Um, and it's something that I certainly expect them to continue to do throughout this season. And I guess Vance McDonald didn't actually make our arrow up area, but he caught a ball. So arrow up. Yeah, Let's talk about the, yeah right. Uh, hey, even a, even a blind scroll finds a nut. Is that what is that what they say? Is that the saying? Uh, so the the defense then talk to me a bit about the defense. I thought the defense overall, this was a blitz heavy defense that we saw from Mangini. We saw some more blitz heavy stuff in in the preseason last year this year i don't know that we saw as much blitzing necessarily um but you know kind of compare where the defense was at compared to all the glowing things that we saw or heard uh in uh in the preseason camp reports did the defense perform as expected or was there anything that jumped out at you from jim o'neill's defense given any kind of changes in scheme I think, you know, one thing that really jumped out at me was uh, was the play of the cornerbacks in in the sense that they were up on the line of scrimmage, you know, what felt like nearly every snap. Um, and, and so it, it seems like one of the things and and again, with preseason, I'm typically and we, we talked about this before the Texans game, uh, typically more focused on individual performance, right? Like what what can we gain by watching like these specific players and just how they're kind of carrying out their assignments uh, against the players that they're facing uh, as opposed to more like broader schematic things that, that you want to pull because that stuff just is is so vanilla and it's not game plan that it's hard to make any uh, you, you know conclu- draw any conclusions from from what you're seeing there but uh, it was interesting to me that we saw the cornerbacks you know up near the line of scrimmage bothering receivers. Uh, on just about every snap. I mean, they they were kind of up there in their face, even if they weren't pressing like it was that they, they were trying to alter the release of those receivers. Um, and that's definitely something that, you know, now I'll be be looking for when the regular season comes. Like, is this something that uh, really is going to be a kind of a focal point of that defense uh, in the secondary there where they're looking to bother the receivers on the outside? Because I think we've become used to uh, defenses, especially, you know, through the Vic Fangio years. And then, as last season, you know, went on, like I think Mangini's defense wanted to be a little bit more aggressive early and then realized that they didn't quite have the players to carry out that sort of scheme. And so things became, uh, you know, a little bit more conservative and they weren't really uh, pressing or, or being aggressive on defense quite as much. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, that unfold over the course of the season, whether they want to be kind of this press man team that it looked like they wanted to be this game. You know, one thing I, I noticed and talking about kind of press man, one cornerback who has received a lot of praise 
this over the really since he was drafted and now in some of the camp reports is one Mr. Robinson, the cornerback from LSU. Um, And I I, I always want to call him Patrick Robinson, which I think is right. Um, But he completely Rashard Robinson. Rashard. That's why I knew. I was like, "Uh, I don't want to call him that. But yeah, Rashard Robinson. um, He completely whiffed on trying to uh, really kind of press a guy in the third quarter. It's, it's if you want to go back and watch, I think it's at like 1344, but go back and watch that replay. It's really bad how bad he whiffs. This is someone who you and I are just based on kind of physical attributes alone, not someone we're super high on. So he's he's going to have to do a little bit better than he's done over the one game that we've seen him for five or so plays before he starts to turn our opinion around on him. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is uh, he's a guy that I didn't really honestly pay super close attention to in this game so uh i and i haven't really gone back and watched and and paid super close attention to what he was doing so uh but yeah i i think it's you know it's hard you want to you want to start to build up the the portfolio for this player right like any any of these new guys like that's mostly where my attention is at in these preseason games or, or guys that are new to the team and guys uh, that are rookies. Um, and, and so like spent a lot of time watching guys like DeForest Buckner and, and Ronald Blair and wanting to see like what they bring to the table. Um, and so with Richard Robinson, you know, it was a limited sample, like it's going to be with this preseason, uh, not really enough to change our overall opinion of, of the things that we've talked about concerns that we've had throughout the off season. Um, you know, but he's, he's certainly a player to watch. I mean, he's gotten a lot of positive reviews out of camp, um we'll see how that translate you know into kind of live game action once things get a little bit more physical so let's talk then about our arrow up and arrow down players because we we agreed on a lot of them we had to actually trim a few from the arrow up section uh and the arrow down section was pretty straightforward Uh, (laughs) but let's talk about arrow up first on my arrow up is going to be andrew tiller he had a clean sheet blocking. He played 18 snaps, did not pass snaps, did not allow a pressure. He had a pancake block on fourth and short in the first quarter. That was really, really awesome. This is a guy who's playing with power. He's someone who played really well once he took over for Jordan Devy full time and outplayed Devy really from the Giants game when he started to rotate in. And now is someone who's really pushed Josh Garnett over to the left side. I think this is your starting right guard. Get used to it. He's played really well. And that's really definitely part of the improved offensive line play for the 49ers. Interesting. So you see him beating out, I'm going to assume Zane Beatles then for one of those, one of the guard spots. I think Andrew Tiller is the starting right guard. And I think that's why they moved Josh Garnett over to the left. I think they wanted Josh Garnett over on the right side because at Stanford, he played on the left side. And so you would think, okay, you're going to move him over to the left side and start him there. But they started him on the right side. I think they thought Zane Beatles was going to get plugged in in the left guard spot, which is where he typically played. And then Tiller was going to kind of be the swing guard, if you will. But after watching him play, I think Tiller is wrestling that job away from uh, from anyone who competes with him at the right guard spot. So you think to yourself, well, we spent a first round draft pick on this kid and he's already familiar with playing the left guard spot. I think that's why he's playing left guard now. And even if he doesn't start, even if he doesn't end up week one, week two, week three, I think by week four, he overtakes Beatles as the starting guard. And now you've got two young guards at both spots who can grow and develop together with Daniel Kilgore, who, remember, 
is only starting his like 15th or 16th game, even though he's been in the league for like three or four years. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, let's uh, talk about Josh Garnett then. I, I think he was one of the players, him and Anthony Davis, it was really difficult for me. Like, I, I really wanted to choose just one of them uh, to, to kind of highlight here, but uh, it was really pretty impressed for with, with both of them. So I think with Garnett, the thing that stuck out, obviously we knew going in, you know, what a... a successful like run blocker that he was going to be right we we knew that he was going to be able to make an impact in that respect the big question mark was how was he going to hold up in pass protection um and so that was uh at least so far so good right like he had 21 snaps uh and didn't give up a single pressure another clean sheet there according to pro football focus um so yeah it was and i thought he looked good like i thought he he redirected well on a few plays like he was able to kind of uh, go and and help out his tackle, like help out his center when when they were in trouble, when he didn't have anybody directly over him. Uh, like he he just kind of he, he looked better than I expected in that respect. So uh, that that was certainly encouraging. And then Anthony Davis, right? Like we knew that obviously he was a very good player the last time that we saw him on the field. But you always have to wonder when a when a guy misses a full season like that, you don't know where he's going to be when he comes back. And so. Uh, I thought, you know, he he gave up the one sack, which for me at least was hard to put too much on on him directly for that. Like it wasn't necessarily a case where he just got, you know, beat one on one and just kind of looked bad like he had. uh, It was kind of an overload to that side. He was initially checking his inside, which he should kind of closing off that inside lane. uh, And then he just couldn't quite get outside again to to get with the guy coming off the edge. I forget who it was. Um, you know, in time to prevent the sack. But it, it was really more of a tough situation, more of, uh, you know, probably a, a poor protection call, you know, more than a failure on Anthony Davis's part physically. So I thought, other, especially other than that one play, like he looked really good, really good in the run game, um, it looked visibly more athletic. Like it, it was kind of a, a pretty stark difference when you looked at, the, at him and Trent Brown, right, and how well they moved out there at that right tackle position. Um, I, I thought he looked really good. So it, it really, at this point, like there's not a doubt in my mind that he is going to, as much as they want to put him, that he has to earn that spot. And, you know, they have him playing the second team right now. Uh, like he's the starting right tackle. And camp reports, or I guess practice reports out today after the Broncos practice were that Anthony Davis is now indeed practicing with the ones. Uh, and Trent Brown has moved to the twos which is, I think, exactly where they should be. I think Trent Brown, remember, this is a guy who was a seventh-round pick out of Florida, and he's still really young. So to have someone there who is competing with an Anthony Davis for a starting tackle spot, that's still a really good spot for a seventh-round pick to be in. So that's not necessarily a knock on Trent Brown. If he can end up being a quality backup player over the course of his career, that's a steal of a seventh-rounder. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that we could be talking about having somebody on this offensive line that could be a competent player as a depth option uh, really shows you, uh, you know, how much has changed since we were talking about this offensive line last year. And finally, on Arrow Up, let's talk a bit about Mike Davis, because he is a player that we actually really liked when we when he was drafted. We had uh, Matt Waldman come on of the rookie scouting portfolio, and I mean he was drawing comps to to Frank Gore in terms of his gap blocking prowess and his wiggle. Right, that was what we talked about when he was drafted, and I actually think the the opening song for that show was when we 
you know, stole music, uh, was the, the wiggle, 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 uh, song. If you're not familiar, look it up. Trust me. It'll change your life. But that, that was, you know, what we thought Mike Davis was going to be all about. And then the, the question for Mike Davis when he was drafted was, which one are we going to get? Are we going to get, you know, kind of super amazing, competent Mike Davis, which was there his junior year. I think he came out early. So it was a sophomore year. Or are we going to get kind of, not as athletic, a little slower, a little bigger Mike Davis, who didn't really impress in his junior year right before he came out from the draft. And, I, you know, last year we probably got, you know, kind of slower, fatter, not so great Mike Davis. And this year you're seeing the Mike Davis that lit up South Carolina. Uh, and he was just absolutely explosive and on another level. Yeah, I mean, last year we got Mike Davis with cable. And this year we're going to get direct TV. Mike Davis. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like you mentioned, conditioning was the, the big thing in college, right? Like, which player are we going to get? Um, and in last year, it wasn't good. And again, I think it's hard last year to judge too many of those running backs, like in, in what they did. I mean, Carlos Hyde is the obvious exception because he somehow managed to still look good, even, you know, despite playing behind that terrible offensive line. But with the rest of those guys that aren't quite as talented overall, I think, uh, you know, it's it's really hard to judge their merits when you're playing behind an offensive line that's uh, forcing you to get hit in the backfield half the time. So uh, he, he certainly, you know, wasn't done any favors by the people around him last year, but he didn't look good. He, he didn't look at it. You know, he didn't look in shape. Um, it, we, we got cable Mike Davis. So. Uh, all of the reports coming out of you know this this offseason in training camp and whatnot is that he's in much better shape and and that he looks good and that's what we saw in that that first game right I think this is a, a scheme that is very running back friendly right you you get guys out of the box um, you you get the offensive line you know with that zone blocking opening up lanes for the backs and and it's just kind of matter of making that cut getting downhill and getting upfield and and we saw the explosiveness from Mike Davis. I mean, on the big run that he had, he split two defenders, you know, that I think last year that that run probably ends up being nothing more than a three, four yard gain because he gets bottled up by those two defenders on the backside. But uh, he has enough explosion, enough speed this year to be able to kind of get through those guys and get in the open field. So I tweeted that play out, I think, on Monday night. So check the, the timeline if you want to see a video of this play. But it's, a, it's really a thing of beauty. It's a beautifully blocked zone run, and he completely explodes through the line. I mean, it, this is just the kind of spread-to-run offense that you're going to see from Chip Kelly. But, but I think the most important thing about Mike Davis is that he's no longer eating Flaming Hot Cheetos. Like, that's, that, that was a story I mean, today. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, really don't. Anything that, that turns your fingers that color is generally not good. This is generally speaking. Flaming Hot Cheetos are not, are not good. Don't. I will go to my deathbed. I, I don't care. You can fight me on this. Come at me, bro. Flaming Hot Cheetos are not good. Now, I'm not even talking about good for you. I'm talking about taste good. They do not even taste good. I mean, Hot Cheetos and Takis was like a, you know, a funny song when that came out. But they're that not, was a song? It's not good. Oh, my God. Have you not seen the Hot Cheetos and Takis? No. Like all the but- little kids? No. Oh my god. Okay, like you need to watch this. This was something that came out uh like while I was deployed, I think. And somehow I made it to me in Afghanistan. You haven't seen this video yet? No. No, I haven't. We'll we'll, we'll okay. watch it, I think we're gonna after get we there. talk about Hot Cheetos Yeah, we're going to get there. Uh oh god. Cheap and snack I know- maybe, but not delicious. 
and I know Takis. Takis are like the snack food of my peeps. Yeah. They're like, you know, it, yeah, I, I know mean, Takis. I mean, all the brown people around me when I was deployed were like, dude, hot Cheetos and Takis is my jam. And I was True like, story. I don't know what you're talking about. So let's talk about Arrow Down, and I don't just mean the Cheetos and Takis. I'm talking about, one, all of the quarterbacks. Every one of them. Every single quarterback. Uh, and this and this is the thing. I know that you, and, and you're absolutely right, I'll let you talk about the first third down play from Blaine Gabbert because it was maximum Blaine. Uh, we, we had that phrase last year, and, and last year it was like Max Blaine, right? Like in a good way. And I think we saw, you know, like a little glimmer of Max Blaine this year, too, on that pass to Vance McDonald. But... There was also Max Blaine when it came to those third downs and those missed passes to the 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 running backs. And I tweeted it out, repetitive accuracy. You're going to hear that a lot from us this year. Whomever starts, repetitive accuracy. That's what Chip Kelly values, and that's not exactly what Blaine Gabbert brought to the table in this game. I, I mean, and again, I tweeted this out. Uh, I, that third down play that you referenced, so it was the first third down play of the game. Um and it really is just kind of what I feel like is quintessential Blaine Gabbard at this point. I mean, you're talking about a third and nine play. Uh, they they send three receivers vertically. So it's they, they have guys running beyond the marker and he waits behind a clean pocket. You know, it's a it's a four man rush. The offensive line holds up great. He's he's sitting pretty in the pocket there. Uh, you have. Carlos Hyde and your tight end, I think it's Garrett Selleck on the play, uh, that that are kind of like in the block a little bit and then check release uh, a little bit later on. And he just sits there and waits. It looks like he barely is paying attention to uh, the, the receivers running downfield, waits for Carlos Hyde to come out. And then Carlos Hyde's open. He has a legitimate chance to, if he catches this pass, make one defender miss and pick up that first down. Uh, however, the pass isn't even close. So it's, you know, what we talked about all last season with Blaine Gabbert after that kind of, uh, you know, initial game or two where he was uh, much more impressive than we really expected. It was this is a guy that on third down isn't willing to push the ball downfield. Right. And and we we looked at every really possible scenario with that. Is it just Blaine Gabbert? And, and that's who he is as a quarterback. And and he's not willing to take those chances. Is that what the coaching staff is recommending that he does like is, are they kind of pushing him to, uh, you know, not take those risks downfield, like whatever it may be last year, he was a guy that consistently threw short of the sticks. And so now with a new coaching staff, new offensive system, we're seeing that same sort of tendency, right? Where he's just not willing to take any chances and the accuracy. I mean, it's laughable. Like the, the passes that he missed in this game, on just kind of these short little checkdowns uh, to Carlos Hyde out of the backfield, or uh, there was a slant to Quentin Patton that he threw low and behind him, like short, short passes that should be very simple completions within this offense. Like you're throwing to receivers that don't have defenders nearby. You're not under pressure. Like this is simple, simple stuff. Uh, and, and he's missing like he's and he doesn't look good. So, this isn't really, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, this is a, a guy that was one of the worst quarterbacks in NFL history. And while he may no longer be quite that bad, he's still not a good quarterback. And and that's really what we saw in this game. I mean, the one play like we uh, mentioned was the, the Vance McDonald touchdown. And even that, I mean, I, I, it took a linebacker falling down and him throwing to a guy wide open uh, to really make anything happen in that passing game. And so I just don't think, you know, getting back to, to what we talked about at the top of the episode, there, there's certainly nothing here 
from Blaine Gabbard's play that says, okay, he's absolutely going to be the starter week one and that he absolutely should win this quarterback competition. Now, there's a lot of other things there outside of what's happening on the field that, that might point to that, and we don't need to get too far into that because uh, chances are you guys have spent a lot of time reading about that. But it, it's, again, there's there's nothing there that you see from him that makes you excited about what he could do over somebody like Colin Kaepernick. So the other quarterbacks didn't fare much better. You've got uh, now injured Thad Lewis, uh, who did not look good or accurate in his you know his spat of plays. You've got Jeff Driscoll, who much ballyhooed Jeff Driscoll, who was basically a glorified running back, and and that's about it. And now you, of course, you've got Christian Ponder, who was peak Ponder, which I think that is like the the Max Blaine version for Ponder. It would be peak Ponder. Yeah, you got to get that uh, alliteration it, going. Absolutely. Dude, I love alliterations. Alliterations <laughs> are my jam. So peak Ponder passes the... No, I'm just going to stop there. Uh, peak Ponder was the 2012 game against the, the 49ers where he beat the 49ers, and that was his highest rated game by far from Pro Football Focus. So this is not... This is literally, again, and we said it at the top of the show, it a job that Colin Kaepernick could win by not playing. But the next person on our arrow down is going to be Bruce Miller. And actually David wrote Bruce Miller into the show notes. And my sub bullet was who? Because he didn't really do a whole hell of a lot in the game. And I actually made a point to watch him specifically in the third and fourth quarters where he played and he didn't play a whole lot, but he did play and, and he looked just overmatched as a tight end he looked like a a a fullback trying to play tight end yeah is really what he looked like and and it just again this is a player and we mentioned this in our post-draft episode show this is a player who ranks in the 11th percentile in size when compared to other tight ends he does not compare favorably physically to other tight ends this is a guy who if he makes the team is going to do so on the strength of his special teams play and not because of his play at tight end. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing, right, was was going into it. I was, I was going to be more than happy to be proven wrong, right? If Bruce Miller was going to be able to make that transition and, and look good, and a lot of people were excited about what he might be able to do there. But you get this first preseason game, right, our first real opportunity to see how he can perform in that role. Ten snaps. Ten total snaps. And he didn't get in until, you know, uh, late. Like, I think it was, I don't know, it was either like late in the second quarter or um, in, into the second half before he even finally got on the field. But we we barely saw anything from him. And I just feel like, you know, if he was somebody that they they really felt like was going to make some sort of impact at that position, like somebody that was going to move ahead of your, uh, your, your Bells or your Selex or your McDonald's, like, we would have seen more of him. Um, and, and, you know, basically all of those other McDonald was the only one that really saw fewer snaps than he did. And that's because he kind of started the game. And, you know, even though he may not be the best player, like he is one guy in that group that seems reasonably assured of a, of a spot on this roster. So, yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, I was hoping to see more than I expected from, from Bruce Miller, but, Really, it was just, uh, you know, I guess exactly what you would expect from a former defensive end turned fullback trying to turn tight end. I think ultimately, and actually, last thing I'll say here, I actually think Vance McDonald's a starter. Even though yeah. Selleck, I think, is listed above him, I think at the end of the day, because you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets and a lot of two tight ends being deployed on the field, 
But I think at the end of the day, the tight end that makes uh, that, that gives Chip Kelly butterflies is uh, is Vance McDonald and all of his T-Rex arm splendor. And finally, an arrow down. Let's talk about Kenneth Acker. This was uh, this is a cornerback that started several games last year and is now out there playing with the threes. Took a bad angle on a TD pass to the running back. He, you would think again at, in preseason, you're looking for players that are better than their competition to outshine their competition. And Kenneth Acker didn't do that in his limited play in the fourth quarter. So this is someone who, with the sudden rise of someone like a Chris Davis, with Jimmy Ward, with Will Redmond, with even you know Prince Charles, who is awesome on the name team, this is someone who's looking to be either a mystery IR or a late season cut. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly didn't look good for him. I mean, this was a position much like receiver uh, where you have a lot of guys going into this preseason, going into this training camp that are that are basically from what we know about them right now, like on the same level, right? Like they they were drafted in similar position. They have similar talent levels like they haven't done anything on the field to really separate themselves at this point. And so you're looking to see over the course of this preseason who kind of stands out, right? Like who uh, is able to separate themselves a little bit and and kind of stand out above that crowd. And I mean, we're really talking about a group of what, like eight, nine guys that legitimately could be vying for a spot, like could be vying for playing time. And and so when you're somebody like Kenneth Acker, who I thought it was uh, really kind of strange last year that he was thrown into a starting role and and it didn't really seem like he was kind of deserving of that spot. And we saw him fall out of that. And then now this offseason with the new coaching regime, like getting off to a really bad start in this first preseason game doesn't bode well for his chances of, of sticking out among that group. Yeah, I think ultimately Kenneth Acker is, I mean, he was a late round guy. And when you put, even if Kenneth Acker and someone like a, uh, I'm going to call him Patrick forever, apparently, but Richard Robinson, even if they end up on the same level, you go with the guy that you spent a fourth round pick on this past year. You don't, you don't go with the guy that you spent a sixth round pick on or a fifth round pick on to under, under a previous coaching staff as well, right? New coaching staff. We're going to go with the guys like a Will Redmond, like a Richard Robinson that, that we drafted, that we had some input in selecting to this team. Exactly. So I think he's going to be a late preseason cut and, and that will be that. So next up we have got our, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is really preview uh, three. That's right. Four shows, <laughs> three weeks. Look, turns out there's only difficult. three other teams in this division, right? Like the 49ers are one of them. Look, look, I don't, I, I'm not here to talk about quantum physics. Num- I'm not here to talk to you are about hard. Okay. Cardinal directions. I don't know if it's east, west, up, down, left, right. Oh, you know, we'll, we'll who get knows? to it. That'll make sense in a minute. Yeah, that'll make sense in a little bit. But we're going to have the first of our next three or four, if we're using the metric system, season previews for our divisional opponents. And we're going to go in kind of reverse order of where we think teams will eventually finish. Last year, we had a fantastic interview with one of the bloggers at Turf Show Times, another SB Nation blog. That's one Mr. Joe McAtee. And so we thought we would have him back again this year to talk a bit more of the fabulous Los Angeles mustache that is Jim Fisher. Now, one note of caution. Really, it's just David's audio quality. We mostly figured out how to get the audio quality to where it was when we were in the same room. 
But when you throw a third person into the mix, uh, it starts to get a little wonky. So we had to do some kind of, you know, Skype slash board slash logic ninjutsu. Uh, and it turned out, I think, okay, but there is going to be a difference in the way both Joe and David sound as compared to the other components of the show. So with that caveat in, enjoy this interview that we have with Joe McAtee. Follow him at Trip Show Times if you haven't already. Uh, he's definitely entertaining, if not informative. Uh, and he kicks off our season previews for the NFC West divisional opponents here on the Better Rivals podcast. And this year to preview the Los Angeles Rams, almost said St. Louis, we have a returning friend of the podcast, Mr. Joe Ma'atu. That's how you pronounce it, right? Uh, Joe Ma'atu from Turf Show Times. You can follow him on Twitter at Turf Show Times. Joe, how's it going? My podcaster has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. <laughs> My podcaster has a last name. It's not O-S-C-A-R. So if you want to talk to him and you have something to say, then follow him at like Better Rivals or something and listen to his podcast. It's Better Rivals with Oscar, last name, and 3K. What up, man? <laughs> hey, how's it going, dude? <laughs> this is Joe McAtee. His last name is not Ma'atu, um, but that's how someone <laughs> tried to pronounce it once because they be dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's <laughs> up, man? Oh, man. It's good to have you back on the show. We had a fantastic time covering, uh, really previewing the Rams last year, and you were prophetic in your prediction for the Jeff Fisher mustaches uh, and everything kind of laid out just like you like you predicted. And so we thought, you know what, let's have Joe back another year and uh, we'll recap 2015 and talk about your predictions for 2016 for the good old Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, there's, n there's nothing more fun to do than talk about the Rams last year and the Rams upcoming. So thanks for having me, man. You're welcome. So let's talk about the Rams last year. So, you know, really the the theme of last year was moving to L.A. on the back of Todd Gurley because that's about all y'all really did. On offense, you had the 29th overall DVOA, 31st pass, but then, of course, you've got rushing, right? 14th rushing because Todd Gurley's a beast. It was really the Todd Gurley show. So, you know, how was last season, at least on offense for you, um, given that you weren't expecting much out of the, the Los Angeles 8 and 8s? Mm, 14th suck it Oakland uh <laughs> look <laughs> um I mean yeah it was bad it was like really bad here's the thing it's like um sometimes there's this weird divergence between traditional statistics and advanced statistics and people want to argue about well there's this context and oh well you didn't notice this like the the, the 2015 rams were one of those weird seasons where like everybody was like good i don't know if we have math to describe how much this sucks like this is really bad this is really we're talking about kickers and punters with max contracts it was just really bad um and when you when you talk about Todd Gurley, the scary thing is, as good as he was, I mean, broke the record his first four games starting as a rookie. He still couldn't rescue the Rams from having the worst offense in terms of yardage gained, right? So you had Todd Gurley, burgeoning superstar, rookie of the year on offense, contributing to the worst offense in the NFL in terms of yardage and whatever fun stats you were DVOA and all that stuff that makes it sound better than it really was. It was just bad. And, uh, you know, the scary part is that was year four for Jeff Fisher. That was year four for general manager Les Snead. It's not as if they came into this and they didn't have time to build it. They had the RG3 trade they had two years after, and that was what they came up with after three years of planning. 
Well, this was really Jeff Fisher football. 60, 62% of the runs came from two back formations. Only Green Bay had a higher percentage or had a percentage close to that, I should say. Uh, they were the only other team above 47%. So this is Jeff Fisher getting back to, I guess, Marty Ball or Jeff Fisher Ball and thinking that he's going to be able to run his way into some kind of offensive success. And he, uh, he might actually Eddie George Todd Gurley. Uh, Oscar, are you flirting with me? Are you, are you trying to arouse me? Yeah, it's uh, that's um, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. It, I, it's getting to these weird positions where I'm struggling to come up with ways to defend the Rams. And you know, I we I've had a top, a ton of Rams hits all the all the way across the country on radio and uh, different websites, getting ready to preview the NFL. And they're asking, well, what are the Rams doing here? And it's just getting to the point where it's indefensible, where it's like a uh, you know. Uh, eating its own tail, and, and I just I just don't know how to define it. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to justify it more than anything. And the fact that you know, you when you're looking back to like Eddie George to try to justify your offense instead of moving forward and saying this is what we're trying to do, and and, and try we've got a game plan to be able to defeat everybody, and it's somewhat inventive and innovative and, and forward thinking. That's part of the problem. And, and, you know, one of the funny things was obviously with the Rams on hard knocks. I saw uh, somebody had screen capped Jeff Fisher. Um, they had uh, shown some footage of him when he was a member of the Los Angeles Rams coaching staff back in 1991. And I thought that was fitting, right? Because that's kind of where he's at. He, this is Jeff Fisher, 1991 Los Angeles Rams member of the coaching staff. But he's also Jeff Fisher, 2016 member of the Los Angeles Rams coaching staff. And I don't know that that much has changed for him in terms of his approach to football. And I think that's part of the problem. Well, let's talk about the part of the or the, the side of the ball where the Rams do succeed and do just kind of beat the crap out of people. And that's on defense. Overall, they were the seventh ranked team on defense based on DVOA. They were ranked in the top 10 in both the pa- against both the pass and the run. And, and so this is if the offense is kind of abysmal, this defense and Aaron Donald in last year really emerged across the entire season as a team or as a part of the team, really, that you could build around. And so really overall last year, it was still a successful year. And you got some really, really good pieces on defense, especially around Aaron Donald. No doubt, and that's what kept them in games. I think the problem is that's what we've been saying for four years, right? You know, that when it started with Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, and then you added pieces like Janoris Jenkins, Trumaine Johnson, Rodney McLeod, all through the 2012 draft, although McLeod was a, a UDFA. Uh, you brought in LaMarcus Joyner. You brought in Aaron Donald. Michael Brockers back in that 2012 draft. So they've been able to add all these different pieces, and obviously Robert Quinn coming along on the edge as well. They've built up this defense. The problem now is that, you know, when you enter year four for Jeff Fisher, you start losing those guys. And so this year, they lost a starter at every level. They lost a starter from the defensive line and Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, middle linebacker, Janoris Jenkins, starting cornerback, uh, probably their top cornerback, although the Rams' depth chart isn't necessarily a CB1, CB2. It's more like a CB strong side and a weak side cornerback. And then uh, safety and Rodney McLeod, who went to the Eagles, they've lost a starter at all four levels. And uh, I, I get the idea that Rams fans can find reasons to uh, criticize the play of each of those guys, Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, and Janoris Jenkins, certainly, though Rodney McLeod probably had the best uh, 2015 season out of all of them. 
the the problem is that they were starting for a reason, right? Wh- whoever we've got in reserve that we're expecting to step up, that we're hoping to be able to perform to that uh, standard, they weren't starting for a reason. And so when you lose those guys, it just it, it opens up another question, and not every question is going to get answered positively in 2016. Well, speaking of one of those major questions, right? Uh, quarterback has been a question mark in St. Louis or now Los Angeles for forever um and and obviously they spent a lot of resources to try and address that position this offseason um what i guess are your thoughts on jared goff so far i mean he was somebody back before all of the trade craziness you know started happening when we were uh looking at potential quarterback options for the 49ers in the draft um you know he was somebody that we spent a lot of time on and and somebody that we uh you know both really liked in the pre-draft process what has been kind of the news with him coming out of camp and in through the first preseason game and uh, so far this offseason? Case Keenum is still the starter for the Rams over Jared Goff. Yeah, because it, things don't. I mean, they they don't have to make sense. It worries Oscar. me. You don't, you don't, it worries yeah. me a I bit. I mean, you don't. That, you know, that logic Jared is Goff. overrated. I mean, logic is the name of a rapper. That's okay. You know, you don't need to follow it. There are two things um, that worry me but, about this whole Jared Goff thing. Right, one is that he can't. He hasn't so far beat out Case Kim, and maybe there's a bit of like veteran young guy kind of whatever. But but the the other thing that worries me is, and this really really kind of eats at my soul a little bit, is that this Cal educated quarterback legit doesn't know that the sun rises in the east. Like Wait, that's- so I saw this. I saw this uh, in in kind of the pre-show notes here, and I have heard nothing. Like I missed this. Like during, I don't know whether it was during the move or or what was going on here. For like for I, the- I need somebody to tell me this story. Like so where did for, this come from? For the uninitiated, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Joe. In Hard Knocks, episode one. One of the opening scenes after you get through all the fluff of Jeff Fisher fishing and being like, oh, get it. It's a pun. Um, You know, it kind of goes it goes over to the quarterback room and it starts talking about Jared Goff and this new quarterback. And his quarterback coach asks him, like, you know, no, like and I don't even remember how they got onto it. But he's like, no, do, do you know where the sun rises? And Jared Goff looks at him with this slack jawed expression that is usually only reserved for like Missouri quarterbacks. And just stares at him and goes like, uh. And his coach goes, you don't know that it rises in the east? He's like, were you ever a Boy Scout? And he's like, no. And it's this whole joke for like 15 minutes of the show where he just goes around and asks Jared Goff, goes around and asks other players. And he goes, hey, did, did you know that the sun rose in, in the east? And most everyone is like, yeah, dude, of course we do. Because, you know, New York gets three out like come on that's how it wor- works you know and finally uh, someone gets all esoteric on him and goes technically the sun doesn't rise the earth rotates and that's where jared <laughs> goff goes to his coach and he's like hey coach coach nope doesn't rise in the east the earth rotates like it's come on dude come on number one i would pay for oscar's three act play as Jer- uh, as Jeff Fisher, what, whatever you, whatever script you want to write, what, that was enough as a treatment. You've been greenlit. I want it. Go. <laughs> uh, number number two, and I bring my daughter into this. M- uh, my daughter plays Minecraft. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's a popular yeah, video game. Yeah, we're familiar. And yep. And she asked me the other day, uh, Dad, why does the moon come from where the sun comes from? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, when I look to the left, if I just stand there and stare long enough, eventually the moon shows up. 
<laughs> so they, and at first I was like, well, you know, the earth rotates and obviously, you know, the, on the axis, it appears as if the sun and moon are coming from the same place because there's an orbit and all these other things. And then I realized, hold on, wait, 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 wait. You waited and stared at the spot that the sun came up and you just watched the horizon until the, you waited an entire day until the moon rose and she was like well yeah what else was i gonna do and i was like okay this is it this is the difference between jared goff's generation and mine the reason they don't understand where the sun comes up is that because they don't have the the need to understand that they they've just got other crap going on they can play pokemon go like was in the hard knocks they can play minecraft and just watch the horizon until the moon arrives they they can uh, watch uh, i don't know uh instagram and snapchat and what i have no i mean i know i'm dating myself and sounding uh, dated and old here but the, 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 the truth is the reason jared goff and these guys don't know where the sun comes up they don't need to know that. So outside of him not being able to know, you know, up from down, east from west, is is Jared Goff, like, are you worried? Are you worried that he can't beat out? Well, I, I am that you just equated up and down and east and west as if those, <laughs> as if those are similar things. I'm in the but fourth sure, dimension, bro. Right, I'm in the fourth right, dimension. north and south. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is going a great direction. Um <laughs> <laughs> so so i mean it, it seems weird that like jared goff hasn't taken over as a starter but i don't think that that really matters right now but i i mean i guess it's relevant for like 49ers fans as well considering that we play week one like i guess if we put it this way who do you if you had to pick one of them right now um based on the way things have been going during camp and all that like who is starting during that week one game at san francisco is it goff or keenan I think that's the problem is you got to predict Jer- Jeff Fisher. Remember, Jeff Fisher didn't start Aaron Donald for a month. And Aaron Donald's the most, you know, dominant defensive player that he's been able to coach probably, I don't know, whomever he had on the Titans that was at that level. Um, you know, he didn't start Trey Mason for a month. And you guys remember this because it was the San Francisco game in uh, 2014 where they got the start. And uh, Greg Robinson, Trey Mason, you guys might remember this because it was Janoris Jenkins covering Brandon Lloyd uh, going into halftime where he bid on the double move. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, it, there's there's no reason that you trade up for a quarterback unless he's capable of beating out Case Keenum for week one. If, 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 the, if Jared Goff isn't capable of beating out Case Keenum for week one, just resign then. Just resign and say, look, I, I don't know. Screw it. We screwed up and there's no way I can fix this now. Because, you know, that's unjustifiable. So, you know, I'd like to think that Jared Goff gets it together, whatever that means, and is able to convince them that he's capable of running the offense. Um, And that going into Monday Night Football, they've got some confidence that they're going to be able to win the game because not, not just the defense, but that they've got the capability on offense to execute the playbook and put things together. But, you know, we got hard knocks, so you're getting to see more than just the public view. You've got this weird private view, and it just doesn't seem to be coming together, at least at this point. Um, I don't know. Here's here's to hope. So so we're looking, again, at passing game and, and some of the questions kind of for, for next year with this team. I'm looking at the depth chart right now at receiver for the Rams. 
And look, who's making you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? It, it's a mistake. I, I regret it immediately. There's a, um, you can literally turn on Minecraft and watch the horizon until the moon comes up. <laughs> Nobody's making you do that. I mean, look, we're used to, like, if you look at the 49ers depth. Yeah, I was going to say, we're sitting here and we're talking about, like, it's Um, not like we're sitting pretty. But I'm looking at this, at these names, and this might be, like, the one team right now that it's worse off at receiver than the 49ers are. So, I mean, it seems like Tavon Austin, uh, obviously, Jeff Fisher's made the comments throughout the offseason that that they want to get him involved and get him over 100 catches or something like that. But who else? Like, is there anybody else that you're excited about that, like, might surprise from the rest of that group? Is there, is there is, does any coach get away with more bullshit than Jeff Fisher? I'm saying no. something like Tavon Austin is going to get 100. He, who, like, how do you get to 100 catches? Like, okay, you know, you're at 10 catches, 20 catches, 40 catches. Screw it! He's gonna get eight thousand catches next year. Like, what? You you just you can't just say this shit. But he does. He says it, and he acts like people are gonna believe it. And and what's crazy is some people do. I don't know, man. It's yeah. Here's the scary thing. Like you mentioned, all the statistics about the Rams. The the one I lean on is that they were dead last, thirty second in yards gained. Not because it's you know. Uh, it doesn't explain the context of the uh, the entire offense, but it's simple enough to understand how bad it was. It was 32nd in yards gained. The Rams saw that offense and everybody in it. They got rid of Jared Cook. They got rid of Nick Foles, and they brought almost everybody else back. Now, in terms of logic, we mentioned logic, not the rapper, but the rational thought process. Why does that make any damn sense? If, you, if you've got the worst offense in the NFL, why would you bring that many people back? I'm asking you because yeah, if, you mean, offense, if you have an offense, if you have an answer, sense. I'm going to forward it to them. I'm going to say, look, guys, Oscar has the answer. Hurry up and listen to him. Well, I, I don't know what the answer is for that specifically. I can only tell you that Jeff Fisher is going to Jeff Fisher because he, I, I think he made a bet maybe somewhere around 1994 that said that, like, you know what, if I end my career at like a flat eight and eight, I get a million dollars or something, which I guess back in 92 or 93 would have been a lot of money. And now he's kind of kicking himself, especially since his contract is probably worth more than that in a year. But I think that there's there's one player I think that y'all drafted in the fourth round that I actually kind of like. And he probably won't do anything in year one because it's it's tough for wide receivers to do that in year one. Um, but I think Pharaoh Cooper is actually someone who could do some things if he actually were to have a coach and a quarterback that would throw the ball more than 12 times a game. I guarantee he's going to do some things. I just don't think they're going to be what you want. Here's what I say. You know, <laughs> there's, a vein of, there's a vein of Rams fans who think that Jeff Fisher is in the kind of L. Ron Hubbard, Donald Trump conspiracy theory side that he set out to prove that, look, I can do absolutely nothing positive in the NFL and carve out a 30-year career and that somebody took that bet and that he's just five years away from cashing it in. Uh, aside from that, as it, as it you know, pertains to Pharaoh Cooper, I don't know. I don't know where Farrah Cooper fits in this offense. You know, is he a backup to Tavon Austin as kind of a gadget slot whatever guy? Is you know, is Jeff Fisher the kind of person to introduce that into the offense? And you know, offensive coordinator Rob Boris, a second, well, not even a second. This is his first full year as offensive coordinator. He was the tight ends coach going into the year a year ago. He was deeper on the coaching staff before that. So you know, they've elevated Rob Boris into the offensive coordinator pretty, uh, position pretty. Uh, quickly 
and I don't know that he's got the uh, the experience, the history to be able to take advantage of somebody with uh, of a skill set as multifaceted as Cooper's. Um, but you've also got so many other wide receivers coming in because they've got last year's crop of you know Brian Quick, Tavon Austin, Bradley Marquez, Kenny Britt. But then you throw in all the draft picks, uh, Mike Thomas, uh, Fair Cooper himself, the UDFAs, Nelson Spruce, who was bowling out in uh, uh, hard knocks and training camp, as uh, many reports uh, noted. Uh, really good hands, but uh, maybe limited everywhere else. And you know, you gotta you gotta decide what value of a possession receiver there is. And the Rams have traditionally held those kind of guys. I'm not gonna stereotype them racially, as has been popular this these last 48 hours. Uh, but you got other guys, Duke Williams coming out of Auburn, somebody who was really successful two years ago in the college game, had a lot of off-field problems. That's kind of a staple of a Jeff Fisher uh, UDFA. Um, I, don't, I don't know, man. I mean, Cooper's talented, no doubt, but th- there's a lot of talent across the wide receiver core. The problem is that none of them produce great numbers, and when you get this this uh, diverse of a group and none of them seem to be bringing their A-game to the table, it's hard to point at the wide receivers, and it seems like it's more of a systemic problem. So let's talk a little bit then about 2016 and, and get into your predictions about it. We talked about you know, kind of the review of 2015 and how their offense was really buoyed by Todd Gurley and more so by their defense. Jared Goff, irrespective of whether he knows where the sun rises, could still turn into something special. Uh, and we'll, I guess we'll see week one, thinking that he'll start there. And let's talk about, we're going to quick fire some questions for you in 2016. We're just going to throw some out there before we get to your final prediction and just give us like your, your gut instinct. And, and so we'll start with one that we kind of touched on earlier, but that's about Todd Gurley. Is Jeff Fisher... Someone who made this this guy average twenty point three touches per game post ACL is he going to Eddie George Todd Gurley in twenty sixteen? No, go. All right, number two is the offensive line a line that allowed eighteen sacks but was ranked twenty eighth in pressure rate allowed? They just didn't have very many sacks because while well, they didn't throw the ball a whole lot, uh, are they going to be able to protect Jared Goff? No, faster. <laughs> How will Alec Ogletree? Handle the position, put the position switch to middle linebacker. He's a new father. He'll responsibly go. <laughs> He's going to take care of that football baby. Uh, and finally, will Aaron Donald? Finally, what kind of lightning round is this, man? You're supposed four, to have like twenty questions. Four questions. Will I'll let I'll let David come up with some questions right now. David, come up with some questions. <laughs> uh, and, and finally, on my end, will Aaron Donald? kill a quarterback now that Robert Quinn is healthy. Well, so here's, I'd say this, it depends on the quarterback. A year ago, I told, I think, was it behind the steel curtain? I don't remember who it was. I told somebody, you guys talked about how prophetic, <laughs> as if I deserve credit for saying that Jeff Fisher would go 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. But I told somebody, they asked me, who would be the first quarterback that the Rams defensive line injured? I said it was going to be Ben Roethlisberger, and of course, that's what ended up happening. I, I don't know that Aaron Donald is going to kill a quarterback willingly. I th- it's almost like, and we were talking about dogs before the show, I don't think he understands how powerful he is. If they, if they keep putting a camera in front of him while he plays ping pong at UC Irvine, I think there's a chance he decapitates someone. I think there's a chance he hits a ping pong ball through some kid's larynx. He I was getting aggro. And I don't think it's his fault. He was getting real aggro during that ping pong game. David, it, it, you haven't watched the Hard Knocks yet, but I mean, he like took his shirt off 
I mean, it was serious who, business. Who takes their who takes their shirt off playing ping pong? <laughs> <laughs> I will say this: he was Aaron Donald gets serious about some damn ping pong, man. We need to send him out to Rio. I don't know. I, I will say this: I watched the preseason game where w- with the Rams and Dominic Easley was just treating guys like they were not even there. And granted. He's a backup, so he's going up against backups. We're talking second and third quarter, but sure. holy hell, still. I mean, and we say that we've said this on the show before. You know what you want to do in preseason games is watch the superior athletes and superior players completely dominate inferior competition, and that's exactly what he was yeah. doing. I mean, he was just. I, I thought for a second, I was like, "Wait, is that no? They didn't leave him in the game that long." Oh, that's not Aaron Donald. Like, I, I was really, really surprised. And yeah, Dominic Easley. I mean, it's just. To the rich get richer because he was doing some really good things in that game. Easily looked good in uh, he, uh, uh, Matt Longacre looked really good, a backup defensive end who uh, crept into the back of the roster last year and actually got some active time a year ago. Although the you know he was coming from deep in the NCAA pool, and then Ian Seau, who the nephew of Junior Seau coming out of Nevada, looked really good uh, so far this year in the offseason. So I think I think part of the problem is. Whatever you attribute this to, and this is one of those kind of Malcolm Gladwell topics, is why the Rams are so good at stacking up running backs and defensive linemen. And there's no doubt they are. I mean, they got uh, Zach Stacy out of the fifth round, who was obviously a capable running back for them. Trey Mason in the third round starred for them before having uh, some behavioral issues that he's had to deal with. And then obviously Todd Gurley, 10th overall, he's been phenomenal uh, for one year. Defensive line for the Rams, there's no way to get around it. You know, they uh, brought up incredible talents all across the defensive line and in the depth. And there's no question that between their uh, signings of William Hayes and perhaps now Dominique Easley, that may be the best uh, signature free agent group that they've been able to stack up. The problem is that's kind of the only position where they've been able to do that. So maybe there's this weird thing where whether it's Jeff Fisher or he's got this ability to identify position coaches who are good enough at identifying talent. But for some reason, running back and defensive line seems to be a position where they find a way to get talent and they continue to find talent even after they're sufficiently stocked there. Uh, and I wish they could do that other places. Well, I think uh, Trent Balky must be shadow drafting for the Rams as well, because that seems to be the only two positions that the 49ers can actually stack up. Uh, so let's see if we've vamped long enough and had to mute a phone call uh, long enough, maybe, uh, for David to come up with some real quick lightning round questions. David, let's see what you got. Oh, you got one more. Make one it good. more with the defense. Uh, this is at the lightning round. So I'm, I'm, yeah. In the lightning round, you're supposed to have three and a half minutes to answer every question. That's how a lightning round works. What I need to know is who in the hell is Matt Longacre? Uh, and how <laughs> did, did he collect the highest pass rushing grade and the highest run defensive grade of any NFL edge defender uh, in this first week of the preseason here? Matthew Longacre was born in Lincoln, Nebraska, 1985. Born to a one-legged woman named Shabrana, and a father, a wheat farmer, who fashioned himself a wheat farmer. Matt Longacre grew into one of the most successful defensive ends in NCAA 1AA 3AA history. (laughs) After five years at Southwestern Missouri State Tech, Matthew Longacre found his way to the NFL, 
before finding his way to the XFL, before finding his way to the CFL, before finding his way to the NFL. With the 2015 St. Louis Rams, Matthew Longacre completed exactly one sack in the preseason, which was enough to convince Jeff Fisher that he was better than anybody he could possibly select on his offense. Matt Longacre made the 53-man roster, completed nothing, accomplished nothing, and that's who Matt Longacre is. This has been one moment in the Better Rivals podcast. There you go, man. That's about Matt Longacre's history. Oh, perfect. That uh, that was something. That was. I don't know, dude. I don't know shit about Matt Longacre. Nobody does. Come on, man. <laughs> Who knows about Matt Longacre, man? I never heard that. I mean, one, it's a fantastic name, uh, but I'd never heard that name before like 15 minutes ago. Let's, let's be real. Matt Longacre is a really good porn name. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's it's it's and you know what? If you put like a captain or something like that ahead of it, it's a great pet name. Like Excuse Pat- me, it's Oscar Storm Rival. <laughs> Joseph Longacre. <laughs> Father of Corgis. <laughs> oh, is that a 49er? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> So let's get your final prediction then. Last year it was prophetic. We called Jeff Fisher Mr. 8 and 8, but he's 27, 36 and 1 over his Rams career. What's what's he going to do in 2016? Uh, and perhaps more importantly, what would it take for him to actually lose his job? <laughs> uh, yeah, 15 and 1 obviously. I, I well, here's the problem, man. I mean, they're already talking about extending him. Um Okay. So I'm being serious. I, I went from being re- I, we were talking about porn. So let me let's reset the table. Let's try to be serious again. I know that's weird to go from Oscar. What did I call you, Stormwell? Oscar Stormwell. Stormwell. To- <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what I don't know what I said. Y'all have to going on a Matt Long anchor weird history riff. Um, here here's the problem with the Rams. Right? Is that is that everything they've done in the past four years is something that uh, Los Angeles, the media market, and the franchise doesn't care about. So no, the, 90% of your new Los Angeles Rams fans and everybody within the organization doesn't really care what happened in 2012 to 2015 because, the, because that's been wiped, right? That's part of this weird chapter of Rams history that suddenly doesn't count. And as as much as we, as logical, rational football fans, can say, okay, well, those are still the same players, and Matt Longacre, whoever the hell he is, is still Matt Longacre. Los Angeles fans don't count that. The the the, the uh, front office, the communications department, the people who got the Rams on hard knocks, don't care about that. They only care moving forward that. The Rams are able to start showing progress and to start crafting a narrative that says that they're on an upward trajectory. And there's nothing that says that going seven and nine and eight and eight can't do that because they've sold that for the last four years. I, I think the problem is at some point, and I don't know where that is. I, I've given up on trying to identify because I thought that would have been two years ago. And the fact that they drafted a running back after doing that, I thought would have been enough for fans to say, well, that just doesn't make sense. And they didn't. Fans bought into it. They got excited at Todd Gurley. They got excited at Nick Foles and a new offense. And they ranked 30, you know, all the DVOA and all the stats you cited. They went last in yards gained and 
went seven and nine, started four and eight. Todd Gurley, you know, is a running back, so he can only do so much, but he got rookie of the year and the Rams moved. And so everybody got kind of what they wanted. But the problem was that it, it didn't really suggest any kind of improvement. And I don't know why, if the Rams were comfortable uh, bringing back Jeff Fisher for that, and then after that, retaining him, what changes? The uh, the only justification for retaining him after all that is that the franchise moved and that there's enough uh, variables and undecided kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of things that go into running a football team that fans, A, don't see, and B, let's be honest, don't really care about because all we want to see is our, our team win. Those are the things that Jeff Fisher tends to do well. And, and, you know, he keeps the team together. He keeps everybody from fighting amongst themselves. He keeps, you know, the front office and the COO and star players from taking contract negotiations into these kind of acrimonious periods. Look, we're looking at Joey Bosa as a rookie out in San Diego, already finding a problem with this stuff. Rams fans know this from watching Marshall Falk's career. This stuff can blow up into the kind of things that tend to define the non-football period. Jeff Fisher's really good at making sure that stuff doesn't happen. The problem is, at some point, Nobody should care about that because the Rams aren't winning. And as Rams fans, if you want to win games, at some point you got to move forward. And you got to move forward without Jeff Fisher. The question is, when does Los Angeles do it? They've got a stadium on the horizon in 2019. That seems to be a soft target. If that's the case, hey, I'll see you guys in three years and we'll start talking about why the Rams are trying to catch back up to the San Francisco 49ers for the second time in a decade. Well, what's your final prediction? Put you on the spot. You've got Jeff Fisher and Mr. 8 and 8. What do you think final record's going to be and their place in the division? Uh, if I, I've, I've, I went 7 and 9 in the schedule prediction. I, I mean, I've got no reason to go off of that. Only because it's impossible to guess. I'll guess Jared Goff doesn't. He starts week 2. Why? Because the Rams are stupid. They're, they're, they're going to sit him out just to prove to America that they do this stuff. They'll start him in week 2. You guys will beat us with, you know... Case Keenum starting, then we'll come home and beat Seattle 42 to nothing in week two. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's so dumb. It's, the, it's Rams football. Um, so I'll go seven and nine. Uh, what, was the, what was the second half of that? Their place Why in the, the division. Jeff Fisher, stash. Jeff Fisher versus Jim Tom Sula stash. Obviously, it's Jeff Fisher. I mean, he's got some pride. Give him credit. And then final place in the division, third or fourth? <sighs> When's our second game? late like week 16 i think oh man oh man i really wish it was week 17 if it was week 17 i'd kind of demand that you guys have me on again just to get ready for we that. might yeah, do we yeah, might do it in week. you guys uh you guys got the cardinals in week 17 uh, that's right ah <laughs> that's so tough um i guess i'll i look i'll be a homer how about that i'll give us the seven and nine homer edge over you guys at six and ten, I don't know, man. I, I really think play. it's close. And it, 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 I, I'd say this: I mentioned this to Fooch today. We were talking briefly. Um, we had a piece near the end of last season. Who was in better position moving forward, the 49ers or the Rams? And obviously, you know, Rams. We went seven and nine. Whatever. You guys had a struggle season. What I said was, I, I, I honestly think you guys hit your bottom. And, and I think the difference is. 
once you get that, you get a chance to rebound and start setting the conditions to move forward. And I, you know, the Rams hit their bottom four or five years ago, and I think they screwed up their, uh, you know, resurrection, whatever whatever word you want to put on that, that the kind of renovation to put to get back on solid footing and build a capable franchise moving forward. I think they screwed that up. You guys have an opportunity to do that. And however you do that moving forward, obviously you're one for Chip Kelly. We'll have to see. Um, but I think the fact that you guys hit that rock bottom, I think you guys are behind us week one, 2016 week 17. That could be a totally different ball game. All right. Well, Joe, thanks again for coming on. It's always a blast having you on the show. Uh, yeah, I don't even know how to describe this interview, but I definitely enjoyed giving it slash, uh, listening to it. So it's, it's always a pleasure having you on. If you want to follow Joe on the Twitters, you can follow him at Turf Show Times. Uh, that's Joe Maatu, also pronounced McAtee, <laughs> depending on where you're at, because, you know, we're super good with names on this podcast. But, Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show again. It's all about the Oscar Mayer hot dogs, man. Like a, <laughs> a hot dogs. Who likes hot dogs? What kind of kids like Oscar hot dogs? Fat kids, skinny kids, kids who kick on rocks, sick kids, ugly kids, kids who get the chicken pox like hot dogs. The better rivals hot the dogs. The fact that he knows this the much of the Oscar Mayer songs is a little disconcerting. Love to listen to. Yeah, I totally screwed that up, but whatever. I made it work. <laughs> All right. Joe, have a good rest of your night, man. So that about does it for this week's episode. We, uh, man, that was a solid interview, good review of the game. I mean, and honestly, the the call to action this week has got to be Matt Longacre. Like, I don't know where you pulled that out of, nor do I know where Joe really put that story together. <laughs> but it it was something. Yeah, I mean, you can do hashtag just Longacre, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Longacre. Well, I, I just want to oh see how God. people spell it. Yeah, I just want to see how people it, spell it. I mean, I, I honestly just started like looking through uh, like the Pro Football Focus recaps of the preseason game, and I saw his name pop up, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is that? I don't even—I've never heard this before in my life." Uh, and then I saw that his grade was like incredibly; it was like an eight point one or something like that, uh, which is absurd for a preseason game when you're playing limited snaps. So, uh, yeah, I had I had to bring it up, but. Uh, it was a fun interview. Joe, Joe is, uh, is, a, is a funny dude. Funny. I love Joe. I love talking to him. I love his perspective on things. Uh, he is a guy who is both funny and knows his stuff. So thanks again to Joe McAtee for coming on the show. Uh, and thanks again to Stephen Schreffler and Jared Taylor. They're at thebarberysound.com. They did the custom theme music here for the Better Rivals podcast that you're listening to that's taken us out on the outro. And thank you to those that left iTunes reviews. They really do help others discover the show. So if you haven't reviewed us, definitely do so on iTunes. You can also catch us on Stitcher, on TuneIn, uh, where else? On Niners Nation, of course. And I SoundCloud. Think, oh, right? yeah, SoundCloud. Yeah. Forgot about that. That's, That's our one. home. That's the one. That's right. So thanks again for listening and tuning in. We'll be back next week with a review of the Denver Broncos preseason game and what is more than likely a quarterback disaster, as well as previewing the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, and so tune in next week, as usual, on Wednesdays. And as always, go Niners.
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Smart.